to finish on what I'll call the process of prayer. What's happening in prayer? What's really going on? And uh, I hope you find some of what I say a little bit challenging. And please come up to me and say, well, I once, you know, I'll tell you a story. I was preaching in Yall in County Cork, out in the open air, and um, I finished the gospel story. And uh, there was a young, young man just up in the promenade, and he came running down and he said, I disagree with you, I disagree with you. And I, I, I thought, at last, somebody's got a reaction. <laughs> and that was a lovely conversation. Uh, I'll not go into the details. But so do come afterwards and say, oh, I disagree with you. I'm more than glad to talk. But anyhow, I want to look at some of the pitfalls in prayer. And I hope that some of these things uh, don't get too close, but at least something to take away and think about. Anyhow, Oswald Chambers said some great words about prayer. And he said, look, the life of God in each of us is manifested by what he called spiritual concentration. In other words, thinking spiritually. That's what he's trying to say. Not by pious self-consciousness, looking inside yourself. And he said that that produces worship of prayer, which is unchristian. Do you ever beat yourself up about prayer? I don't pray enough. I, I, I'm not praying the right prayers. I, I, I'm, I'm hopeless prayer. You ever do that? I believe we all do it. And I think we've got mixed up. We forget that we're not here to worship prayer. We're here to worship the Lord and follow Him. Prayer is one of the tools that helps us on the journey. But it's not there to beat us over the head. And I think that's something that we often miss. And I'm just going to tell you the story of um, Simeon Stylites. I'm sure you've heard this story before. But um, Simeon was, uh, he lived about the 4th, 5th century, about the same time as St. Patrick, by the way. Anyhow, he was a Syrian Christian, and he decided as a young lad to, to go into a monastery and, and, and get, get alone with God and with God's people. And so he went in, and he spent a lot of time alone in praying and fasting and then beating his body up. And it got to the point that the monks looked at him and said, son, you have no sense of community. For you, it's, it's all yourself on your own. And so they advised that he move on, which he did. He left the community. He then went out into the desert, into the mountain, and there he found a nice quiet valley, and there he prayed on his own and, went and became renowned for it. So renowned was he that tourists came to watch him pray. And uh, they thought, well, and then they would have a little chat with him. And after a while, he got fed up because he was not finding enough time to pray. He was constantly interrupted by all these tourists. And so he then looked around. And he found in the desert uh, a sort of broken down place with a pillar that was about three or four meters tall. And so he made a wooden platform and he stuck it at the top of the pillar, a bit like that, and he climbed up. And he then went on praying on his own out there. And he did this for 37 years. 
Yeah, how did he survive? Well, the villagers would pass food up to him and things like that, and he had a little means, I think, of getting stuff up to him. Uh, and after a while, he, he, the pillar wasn't tall enough. He moved to a taller pillar because the people were still coming up and tourists were still around the, uh, the bottom, all looking up and, and talking to him. And eventually, I think he went to a pillar that was over 30 foot tall. And he just managed, he put a little fence around it in case he went sleepwalking. As you know, that's a bit tricky if you're going to be that. And he just concentrated on prayer. If you've ever read Alfred Lord Tennyson's poem about Simon Stylites, he points out that the guy was full of self-conceit. It isn't prayer. Jesus, it says, went alone up to a mountain to pray, and we discover this in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says that he went to a mountain uh, and on his own, and he prayed, and it says he got up very early to do so. And we look at this and think, well, I'm not getting up early enough to pray, so I'll beat myself up a bit more. And people, when they preach in that, focus on the getting up early and getting yourself disciplined into prayer. And uh, again, Oswald Chambers points out, people imply that if early rising were to be imitated, that would produce Christ-likeness in us. In other words, we concentrate on the physical things he was doing, we miss the spiritual. And so he goes on to say, our Lord prayed because he was concentrated on God, not worshipping prayer. Do you see the difference? And I think it's something that in the Christian church we have failed to point out. We often say, let's have a night of prayer. Do you know, I was, I was involved in an organization. We said, we're going to have a day of prayer and fasting. Okay, right, we'll do that. So I, I, I was working at the time, but I, I thought, right, I'll, I'll spend some time and I'll make sure that I spend my lunch break and tea and all that. And so I went uh, prayer and fasting and, uh, I pray, and I had a list of things to pray for. So after half an hour, I'd finished the list and all I could think of was getting very hungry. But I brought a cup of tea. I, uh, that wasn't cheating, I thought. So I had a cup of tea and then I went on, went through the list again. And all I could think is we're getting very, very hungry. And by that evening, I was very, very, very hungry. And was I concentrating on prayer? Was I concentrating on the list? Was I really, really praying? I doubt it very much. And we do physical things and pretend they're spiritual. You get what I'm saying? And so often in churches and things, we encourage people to do physical things. Let's get up at you know, 5 a.m. Let's have an all-night prayer. Well, if you can keep praying all night, God bless you, but I wonder what you're praying about, and we've seen some of the examples in the skit guys. Hey, prayer is not about rabbiting on for hours and hours or going up into the sky and trying to get alone. When Jesus was up the mountain praying, the disciples came up to him. When they arrived, they said, the crowds want to speak to you. He didn't say, shh, 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 I'm still praying, go away. He did not. He said, right, come on, show me the crowds. He lived the life of God. He lived the life of submission, of following God. Prayer was going on all the time as he walked down the mountain, as he was in the crowds. Prayer is the soul's sincere desire. It's not reaming off loads of empty phrases. And so I'm hoping you're, you're trying to get this. All right, come up and beat me up afterwards if you don't like it. Anyhow, he points out, Chambers again, the Christian experience of prayer is not its own cause. We don't do it for its own sake. It's the effect of the life of God in me. Prayer is the instrument of the life of worship. It is not worship itself. 
Some of us went to schools where they had assemblies. Sorry, kids, you don't know what they are these days. I'm really sorry for you. Well, maybe you're not. Anyhow, we had to stand up, and so they would often have a hymn in the assembly. And sometimes the, the, the uh, religious instruction minister, or, or whatever he was in the school staff, would say, we're now going to worship. Let's sing hymn 592. Worship is not singing. It's not singing 500 or any of the others. Worship is the heart responding to the Lord. And that can be in prayer, it can be in song, it can be in praise. That is just an expression of the words. It is the heart that is obeying. That is true worship. And that's where we sometimes get it wrong. Anyhow, let me, I've, I've covered this illustration on a previous sermon, so listen to it. It's in suffering, and I, I did this illustration. Whose will is it we're trying to change in prayer? And sorry if you've heard this story before. I was involved, I'm still involved in a process of, that's HMS Queen Elizabeth on its first entry into Portsmouth Harbour, the new aircraft carriers. And I'm still involved in that program a little bit. And uh, when that comes into the harbour in Portsmouth, they had to build a special jetty called the Queen Elizabeth Jetty. And on it are capstans. And as the ship gets up, they have got uh, ropes that they throw out they tie them onto the capstans on the side of the uh, jetty, and they've got a few tugs there that help. They then, the captain orders that they pull a big lever, and these mighty uh, um, uh, capstans, and, and, and there's a big barrel, actually, that rolls around in Queen Elizabeth with steel frames on it. And this, this massive thing turns around and pulls on the rope. And the question I have, what is happening? Is the captain saying, I want to pull the jetty closer to the ship? or I want to pull the ship closer to the jetty. Sorry if you've heard this illustration before. Guess what's going on in prayer? We throw, the, we throw the, the rope out, we pull at the jetty, and we say, God, come closer to me. Give me this, give me that. We've got it the wrong way around. Prayer is aligning our will with God's. To the point where Jesus himself, when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, said, not my will, but yours be done. Whose will are we trying to change? Remembering that our Father knows our needs long before we even dreamed of bringing them to Him. Prayer is the means God uses to align us with Himself. And that is something that we sometimes forget. And uh, the verses in John's, uh, in John's Gospel, and this one is in John's uh, letter, are often quoted, it says, you know, in approaching God, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we emphasize the anything. We can get away with anything we like. We pray according to his will, it says. They miss the thing according to his will, not our will. Do we see what we're trying to do in prayer? We're trying to align ourselves to his will. And it is possible that we are getting presumptuous in our prayers. And this is a verse that's often quoted, Whatever you ask in my name, the Father may be glorified in the Son, and I will do it. I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. What does that mean? Well, it means all we have to do is pray a big prayer. I want to win the lottery, so I have to add, in the name of Jesus at the end of it. I just bolt a little coda onto it, and because of this, this is a promise, it's a prediction that I just bolt that on to the end, and I get it. Nonsense! Heresy, folly, not true. The Bible doesn't teach that. In my name means according to my character. Again, back to uh, 
our, our friend. In my name, an often repeated phrase means in my nature. We need to get to discover God's real nature through reading the Bible, letting him speak to us. And when we pray in his name, we wish to achieve what he has directed us to achieve spiritually in this world. And if we try to mix it up and bolt on a little phrase at the end of a prayer, we have lost the plot completely. So, I'm sure there's going to be an interesting conversation around the cup of tea. Anyhow, what do we got next? Uh, James points out that the reason a lot of prayer goes unanswered because we've got the wrong motives. We're doing it so that we can get something we want for ourselves, and we're not getting the clue. It's God trying to show us what he wants that is the whole essence of it. And uh, so the apostle Paul prayed, and he said, I've got a problem. I've got a thorn in my flesh, he said. We believe that that was a medical problem. If you read in Galatians, you'll see that he had problems with his eyesight, and we think his eyesight was going through his life. Paul actually never wrote any of his letters. He dictated them, and he often gives the name of the people he did, because he couldn't see well enough. And so he prayed, and look at what he did. It says here, it was a thorn in my flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Guess what God said? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's saying, I have decided you're going to have this problem. I'm not going to heal that. Now, some people say, if I just add it in the name of Jesus, God will heal everything. A lie. The truth is that God will use all kinds of things, be it suffering, be it happiness, be it family, be it contradictions, every life situation to coach us and mold us into his shape that he wants us to be, because my power is made perfect in weakness. If you had wonderful eyesight, Paul, you might write different things. I want you to follow me. And my grace is sufficient. And interesting, I noticed, I always have spotted this, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. The number of times I've gone to prayer meetings and people keep praying for the same thing after hundreds of prayer meetings. Paul, after three times, Paul realized, God's given me a message. It's clear the answer is either no or perhaps not yet. I need to find out why perhaps it's no. And so there is an important lesson for us here that we don't be presumptuous and try and take things our will, our way. I'm nearly done, it's all right. But just to say that the focus of prayer starts and ends is praise. It's thanksgiving. And uh, the Bible says, call upon me in Psalms and in the day of trouble, I will deliver and you shall glorify me. In other words, you're going to give me thanks for it. We ex he expects feedback. Uh, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer, asking, petition, intercession, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Thanksgiving is the heart of what prayer is about. And uh, Jesus was in a situation where 10 lepers came to him. He healed them, but only one came back. And Jesus' words were this. Were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Are we the other nine? Or do we thank him? And... Uh, Paul again reminds us, rejoice, pray continuously, 
And by that, it doesn't mean every single waking second. It means in every situation in life, give thanks in all circumstances. You know, Paul was in prison, and yet he says, give thanks in every circumstance. You think it's bad, God's using it to make you good or better. So it's, a, it's a, an amazing thing. And if you're in touch with God with prayer, then you start to see the insights into that situation. Nearly done. Just two example prayers. The Pharisee said, big long prayer, no doubt. Uh, I'm better than everybody else. He stood by himself. The tax collector, however, wouldn't even go near the temple that close. He wouldn't look up to heaven. But he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What prayer was answered? Jesus tells us seven words in his prayer. Or is it six words? One, two, three, four, five. Sorry, six words in his prayer. And so often you go to prayer meetings, and about half an hour later, after our first brother has finished his prayer, we think that was a great prayer. No, six words is all it takes. Short prayers is what we need. Meaningful prayers from the heart. And then, of course, Paul prays to the Ephesians. Now, I'm going to take a a few seconds in this one. We say we need to learn how to pray. Look at the best examples of prayer in the New Testament. What did Paul pray for others? Then we get a picture of it. Now, here's what he prayed. Uh, I haven't stopped praying to you people in the Ephesian church. Uh, Remember, he was in prison for them. I haven't stopped praying. And uh, here's what he prayed. Number one, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, would, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Hey, that's something. He was praying that they could grow up as a church and know God better through his spirit. He was praying for their real, genuine spiritual needs. He wasn't praying that they get their, 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 their sore thumb fixed or, or something else. He was focusing on spiritual truth and needs of the church. And he then goes on, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, uh, that, that you, you might know the, the hope that's in you. He's getting into the spiritual realm, the richness of his glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Are we praying for spiritual growth amongst one another? Or are we just getting lost in all our list of things and sores and, 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 and ills and, 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 and problems? And we get absorbed into the problems. You focus on what you do. Can I just share a little story with you? This Barry's going to, you know, he's, he's the money heard. I went to a church, and we had at the back of the church, in fact, it was downstairs as well, for people who were visitors to the church could come in, and they could write a little note of prayer. And there were some real prayer warrior ladies in our church who would take this box, open it out, and then read through the prayers, and together meet to pray for them. You say, that's wonderful. Well, is it? Yes, because in some situations, they knew the people involved who were members of the church and would pray for them, and they knew and could see the results. But others, I came to them and asked them, I interrupted them once, and I asked them, so how are you getting on? What, uh, what's been coming up, and how are you covering things? And they said, well, the problem is, we read about a lot of people who we've never heard of and we never see, and we don't know if our prayers are being answered or not. And you could say, well, well, God knows. Yes, 
But what good is that doing you and them? It's all very well to pray for someone that they might be made better or healed, but is that someone going to just walk away or not even know, or you're going to get no response? Prayer isn't about just praying for the whole world's needs. Jesus said, the poor you always have with you. In other words, you can't solve the world's problems. Are you praying for the situation in Turkey? Many are, but you can't solve it. But what we can pray for is churches that we know in that situation and give to them as we're doing for Ukraine. We can get involved for specifics, but you can't solve the world's problems. Prayer needs to be focused on what God is wanting to do in our community and in those that we know and trust. It is wonderful, though, I have to say, and I got a little note, a text on my phone yesterday morning, and uh, the chap who gave it is, is, a, is a vicar in, in Ireland uh, who I've known for many years, and he just simply asked, how's Daria getting on? Now, I know he had a cancer operation as well, and I just thought, it's half ten in the morning, he's just finished his prayer. He wants to know back. That's what prayer is about, staying in touch. It's not just one to uh, one, it's one to many. We are a community bringing in prayer. How does God answer prayer? Well, I hope this is the final one anyhow. It gives you an idea. Often we use the, the, the picture of traffic lights. Often when we pray, we think we're getting no response. That is not what it says. Everyone who asks receives. God answers every prayer. The trouble is, sometimes we may not like the answer. Sometimes it's read, no, I'm sorry, no. What do we mean by that? Well, sometimes it's the wrong motives. We're asking for the wrong things. Sometimes it's, I see where you're coming from, but actually what's happening in your life is for your benefit, and you need to learn from it. Sometimes it's read. Sometimes it's wait. Be strong, it says. Wait for the Lord. And uh, we are encouraged by examples such as Job. It took Job a while before God's answer came through. And sometimes we learn so much more from that. And sometimes it's green. But green doesn't necessarily mean go. A green traffic light does not mean go. It says proceed with caution. And it's important that we realize that it's green, but the next one might be red. It's move on, move forward, and let's bless God and thank him for it. I trust that we all have discovered that prayer is something dynamic, living, and in our own hearts and lives. But let's not use it as a prop or an excuse or something to get what we would like and not discover the meaningful love and relationship and communication with God who made us through the Lord Jesus.